Good to have you here this morning. Appreciate your presence here. When you stop and think we've got our kids rock going on and we've got our preschool going on, we've got a crowd of people here. Someday we're going to have to be thinking more toward a permanent facility. Years down the road, though, we talked about that when we started. Our uh, Celebrate Recovery is growing. So many good things are happening that tied in with connection. I appreciate you being a part of this worship. For some of you, maybe you don't know me, I'm Mike Davis, I'm the lead pastor, and we're glad to have you here with us, and I just invite you to sit back and listen to what God is going to say this morning. If you have a Bible, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, that's the back part of your Bible, that's the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, the 8th chapter, the 8th chapter, and I want to begin at 26th verse. If you've got that New Testament... Then you want to turn to page 57. Let me say this. If you do not have a Bible, we have some New Testaments on the table in the hallway as you leave on the right. Uh, as you're going about a third of the way down that long hallway, a quarter of the way on the right, there's some New Testaments. If they're gone, look in the box that says free and just get some out of the box. But uh, we want you to have a New Testament because we want you to look the Gospel of Luke with us. And uh, if you have a Bible, bring it because I, I invite you to mark things in your Bible. I invite you to circle things, to underline things, because I want to, to get you to, to concentrate on some key things that are said in the Scriptures that later this week, you can take this message map, there's a page in just a little bit for sermon notes, you could take this, and you can read those verses, and you can rethink about those areas that maybe I asked you to underline, or ask you to circle, or maybe some things that stand out to you that I don't even point out. If you have your Bible, you mark them. If you don't, you tend just to think about them here, and then you forget them. And you know, maybe you're going to read Luke. Uh, if you're following our reading pattern in another month, you'll come to this eighth day, and you'll read this, and you'll see those underlined or circled or statements you wrote or points you put in your Bible. And when you read it, it'll be more meaningful. Okay? The Bible is extremely important. We live in a time where that is not. But we live in a time that has forgotten the time past. And I don't want us to live in the past. We're not a church that's going to live on our traditions and the rituals. We are different than a, most other churches in our area. Now, other churches will have a band and do things like that. Connections. Philosophy of ministry, Mishno, is totally different than many, many churches in our area. And if you get to know Connection, you'll understand that, okay? But... Uh, Things have changed from the past. I can remember a time when, when you were watching TV, and listen, TV would go off about midnight or 1 o'clock. Any of you remember that? Yeah, see, if you're of my age, you do, maybe. Some of you younger might remember that. But you know, where I grew up in Decatur, when it would go off, they would have a, a, sometimes a minister who would have a prayer at the end of the day on the TV. You're not going to have that anymore. Matter of fact, you watch some older movies, you can see in the movies, even Hollywood had people who would pray or talk about God. Just getting away from that. If they talk about God now, it's to take His name and use it in the wrong way. But I can remember when that TV used to close down, they would, they would play the national anthem. You see, we got away from all that. We just got away from things that were foundational to this nation. God's Word has been foundational to America. I have said before, if you've been traveling Luke with me, I've tried to introduce some things maybe you haven't heard before, 
that just having a weekend, and we like weekend. Everybody wants school to get to Friday so we can get out for Saturday. Everybody goes to work if they work Monday through Friday, wants Saturday to come. You know, we want the weekend. The weekend is because of God's influence. Listen, when our nation was begun, okay, Christians were very important in founding it. As we moved along, and you can look in history, we started deciding how our weeks were going to work. And you know what? Because Christians worshipped on Sunday, Sunday became a day that we even used to say, what, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, businesses shouldn't even be operating unless they were necessary for survival. I'm not saying I want to go back to that. I'm just telling you. Sunday became a special day to Americans because Christians worshipped on Sunday. How do we get Saturday? Saturday was a special day set aside, not really to do a lot of activity because Jews, Jewish people had a big influence in the developing this nation. So our weekend came out of that, folks. It came out of that. Of course, we've forgotten that. Now we just think it's great. No. Now we're forgetting our weekends. Sports is taking it over. Kids' activities taking over. Work's taking over. And you know what? Some of us, we don't even have a time of rest. We don't have a time of restoration anymore. You see, God's Word has been important in many things we have formulated. You know why? Because you see, God's Word reveals God's thoughts. Okay? Now follow me. God's Word reveals God's thoughts. If I don't expose myself to God's Word, I don't expose myself to God's thoughts. Listen. Many of you parents, you're raising your kid. They are exposed to how to use that joystick. They are exposed to how to use that iPad. But they aren't exposed to God's Word. And then we wonder why they grow up and they don't have that foundation. But it's not just our kids. Listen, some of you men, you can tell me how good the Rams and the Cardinals are, but you can't tell me anything about Luke. You see, we don't know God's Word. God's Word reveals to us God's thoughts. Now listen, if I let God's thoughts become my thoughts, they begin to impact me, and as the Bible says, they change me or they affect my behavior. And I'm going to ask something in just a little bit. I'm going to ask you, I know nobody in this room is perfect, okay? But I'm going to ask you, if in the last few years, if in the last few years your exposure to God's thoughts that have become some of your thoughts, have changed your life, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. Not yet. In a little bit. And so if three of us raise our hands, then we're not being impacted much. If all of us raise our hands, we're not all telling the truth, okay? So you've got to evaluate that. But you see, God's Word reveals God's thoughts. Whenever I get exposed to God's Word, I mean more than I read my Bible through, okay? Most of you, you read, get through the chapter, so you can say you, you met that quota you read your chapter for a day or three chapters so you can read the bible through but you've really not exposed to god's thoughts i hope whenever i break down luke i'm exposing you some things that you hadn't even thought about some of you of course look at i'm not going to tell you anything that's basically not new that's new christianity's been going on for years all i do is bring it through my creativity and my personality and maybe i expose you to something in a way you've never thought of it but this Word has impacted people's lives. And when we get revealed to God's Word and it gets into His thoughts, get into our thoughts, it begins to change us and it affects our behavior. If your behavior has been affected because of your exposure to understanding some of God's thoughts, just raise your hand. 
Thank you. That's all. See, you've acknowledged that. It is true. That's what amazes me whenever I get to meet with men or women for just a few minutes each week. I try to shoot 45 minutes to an hour with, with individuals and get them exposed to God's Word. It is amazing the transformation that takes place. But most of us are too busy to do that. We got to go to work. We got to play sports. We got to watch our TV. Just give up an hour of your TV. We got to be with our kids. I don't have time. I got to take care of my yard. You always have time for what you want to do. And if you expose yourself to God's Word, if you'll reveal, let God reveal His thoughts to you and they become your thoughts, you'll find your behaviors changing. You will. And it's amazing. Sometimes young people grow up and they're gung-ho for God. Man, they're willing to walk across the, the water for God if they could do it. Then all of a sudden, they find somebody they fall in love with, they get married, they get a job, they buy a home, they have children. And you know what? They're not, they're not that adventuresome anymore. Because you see, the world's thoughts begin occupying our thoughts. And the world changes us. That we begin living like people that maybe we would have said years ago, you know, they don't understand what God wants. Got to get in the Bible. So I encourage you. I share it all. Say, bring a Bible. Look at it. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'll put the words on the screen in a little bit so you can follow with me. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Okay? Because it's a little bit easier for people who've never really been into the Bible to follow. Okay? And so I want us to, to, to pay attention just a little bit to what Luke is going to tell us. Luke said in the very first chapter, we're in the eighth chapter, he said, I'm writing, I'm investigating the things that we've heard about Jesus so that, and the guy he's writing to, so that the guy who he's writing to can know what he's been told about Jesus is true. So Luke, Luke has went to the area where Jesus did what he did, okay? Luke went to that area and he talked to people and he asked people and he gathered this information and he wrote it in the Gospel of Luke or in the book. It would have just been a biography of Jesus. That's what he wrote. And he wrote it within 29 years of Jesus' life. There are people who will tell you Jesus didn't exist or you can't believe this. But I'm telling you, when you study writings of antiquity, Luke or books that are written within three or four decades are unheard of. Three or four decades of the character of antiquity. It's unheard of. And yet we have that from Luke and Matthew and Mark and John about Jesus. And we're going to look at that today. Before I do, let's bow together. I want to leave some prayer. God, we just ask that your spirit would speak to us this morning, that we would come to understand some truths that maybe we're trying to deny, or maybe we've accepted what the world has said, and we've just assumed it's not true. Father, show us, speak to us, speak to us concerning our lives, speak to us concerning our relationship with you. Father, help us, help us just to understand, just to understand something today from your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Now, here's the pattern of Jesus' life. Jesus would go to an area. When he would arrive, a crowd of people would get around him, okay? They'd get around him because they wanted 
the change to come into their life that they heard he brought into other people's lives, okay? And you and I are just like that. And I can give you an illustration. When we go to places, we want to experience what either we've experienced before or somebody has told us they experienced, okay? And so people would gather around him because they wanted to experience the change that others had experienced whether it was from the touch of Jesus or whether it's from the words of Jesus, okay? Now, what we don't talk about is Jesus' humanity. And we've got to understand that. Because if Christians don't understand Jesus' humanity, what Christians do is Christians get discouraged because they get tired, okay? I'm not Jesus. I can't be like Jesus. Jesus was just like you and I. He was human. And I've tried to, to talk about that through the Gospel of Luke, and I will continue to talk about that and develop that idea. For the Bible says Jesus was fully human and fully God. Now, we can't understand that right now, but he was human. Because he was human, listen, he got tired. All the demands, all the demands, and you know what it means to get tired. All the demands, your mate, your children, your work, your yard, your house, your in-laws, your outlaws, all those people. And you get tired. And what we've got to do is learn from Jesus. He got tired. The sermon, the last sermon on Luke I talked about, he was in a boat and he was so tired he fell asleep. And there was a great storm and the storm was so bad that the people with Jesus in the boat who were awake were afraid they were going to die. And Jesus still didn't wake up and they had to go wake him up. They had to go wake him up. He was so tired. He was dead to the world. You see, I can understand that. I can understand Jesus getting tired because when you serve Jesus, when you live to do what God wants you to do, people are going to make demands on you. They're going to ask you. They're going to ask of you. They're going to want your involvement in their life. You're going to be asked to do more. And you're going to get tired. See, I can understand that. I get tired. You get tired. Look at, that's not something we ought to say, so don't ask me. No. I've said it before. Jesus found restoration, a time of restoration, to re-enter His service for the Father. And so should you and I. And so Jesus goes to an area, and a crowd gathers. We're going to see that happen right here in Luke. Look at the 26th verse, or look on the screen. It says, So they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes, across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. Now, now listen, you would think, if, if God worked from our perspective, God, I'm tired, why don't you give me a break? You would think, Jesus, God, in the second person, the Son of God, you would think the Father would not have a demon-possessed man meeting Jesus. You would think that the Father, God the Father, would have somebody running down to the boat with a pizza and a Pepsi to refresh Jesus. Now, I say that because, you see, that's how you and I want it always to be in our life. I'm willing to serve God, but God, you need to keep refreshing me. Jesus has just went through that storm. He's seen the immaturity of the guys with him. He, he calms the elements. I told you, there's people in our human history who have said they've been able to heal people, but there's never been anyone who says they can control the elements. Jesus is unique. And now he gets to this 
area. And what happens? The first person who meets him is a person who's totally controlled by evil. He's controlled by demons. Look, it goes on in verse 27. For a long time, talking about this man who came to meet Jesus, he had been homeless and naked, living in a cemetery outside of town. Listen, this guy doesn't even have a car to live in. This guy is out of control. This guy, the law, wants nothing to do, okay? You're going to see what they do. The people have any authority to this man. This man is the guy you would say every church in the community ought to be helping. But this man is out of control, folks. He's out of control, okay? For a long time. This isn't an overnight, this isn't a seasonal thing. This has been a period of time in this man's life. His issues have ruled in his life. And you and I need to recognize that. Because Jesus comes to meet us. He can help us even when our issues makes us totally out of control. Now, it says, we're going to learn that he has demons. Here it said he's possessed by demons. Okay? Now, I believe in demons. I've talked about this before. I'll talk about it in the future. I don't want to spend so much time on demons. Okay, today, I want to talk some of the devil, and then I want to get into what happens in this man's life. But I believe in demons because the Bible says demons are real. Jesus said demons are real. Jesus doesn't lie. De Jesus talked about demons. He recognized their reality. He confronted demons. And I think we in the church have become so traditional that we've left this to people who we think are just out of their minds and crazy. I'll say this. If you don't understand demons, they exist. They're fallen angels who follow Satan, the devil. And they harass, they tempt, and they want to pull down. They want to put your life out of control. If you're a Christian, you can't be possessed by demons. But demons can come run up to you and say, Hey, buddy, you ought to lust after her. Hey, lady, you ought to tell your husband he's a jerk. Hey, kid, you ought to disobey your mom. And you can be a Christian, and those demons tell you that. They can't possess you, but they can harass you. They can suggest to you. What we need to do is we need to recognize the authority of Jesus. We need to recognize his story because he has the power to overcome demonic influence. And we're going to see that in this story with this man. I want you to look on the screen. I want you to look at the scripture, Romans. Romans 16, 20. This is what Paul said to the people, okay, of the early church. He said, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul knew the reality of the devil. So did the early Christians. And Paul was telling them that God will crush Satan. How? Under the experience of the Christian influence. And he will. I've often said, if God can get a hold of one person in a family, if he can really get a hold of dad or mom or brother or sister, if God can get a hold of one person in the family, uncle, grandpa, God can change a family. He can transform a family. I've seen it. Some of you have seen it. I've seen the impact. And Paul is trying to call attention to that. People can deny your beliefs. People can deny the church you go to. People can deny the theology you say you believe in. But you know what? People can't deny the change that God brings into your life 
where you live and love like Jesus. They just can't deny that. And that God will use to change a family. You keep living your way out of control, it doesn't change. It's just you change from one bad habit to another bad habit. You have one issue control you, and then you let another issue control you. And you hate yourself, you hate the way you are, but you can't change it. And so you blame mom, you blame dad, you blame your mate, you blame the government, you blame society, you blame the church, you blame God. And yet, God had Paul to write, Satan will be crushed under the feet of Christians. But folks, we must understand that Satan will seek to be active in our individual lives. And if he can, listen to me, Satan will seek to be active in a church every church that he can. And who will he be active through? Through those people who call Jesus Christ Lord. Because we know if an unbeliever comes in here and tries to tell us to do the wrong thing, we'd say no. But you see, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're of God's family. And Satan uses Christians to cause problems in the church. We must be aware. In that video on the devil, there was so much said, and I thought, man, I wish I could talk about that. There's not time. But one person made this statement, I have better things to worry about. I'm going to tell you, Satan wants to destroy your marriage. Satan wants to destroy your family. Satan wants to destroy your life. You don't have better things to worry about. You must be aware of the devil. Look on your message map. Look at the first blank on that page for the blanks. Look at that. We don't need to fear Satan. We need to be aware of what he does. Okay? A lot of people say, yeah, I believe in Satan, but they don't know what he does. And what he does is he impacts their life. We must be aware. We don't need to be afraid. You know this world, when it talks about demons, I tried to find a video on demons. They all were scary. They all were horror movies. There were many horror movies. Listen, you think Satan's going to make his demons be horror movies to you? Only if he's trying to cause you to kill yourself or do something silly. Maybe make a demon appear to be a dragon or something like that, to be a monster. And that demon's going to come along, and that demon, if it's possessing someone, is going to seek to be your best bud, going to seek to give you their body, give you their money, give you their things so they can control you. That demon's not going to come to you as a horror movie, but I couldn't find that. So I just got a bunch of people's ideas about the devil. We need, we don't need to fear Satan. It's not like the exorcist. We need to be aware of what Satan does. In the video, there was a young man that said, what the devil's, or he asked a question, what's the devil's purpose? That's a great question. What's the devil's purpose? Look on the screen. Look at 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11. God gave these words to the early Christian church. So that Satan will not outsmart us. That's Christians in the church. Paul wrote these words. It says, so that Satan will not outsmart us. For we are familiar with his evil schemes. Now, Whenever I wrote this sermon, I thought, gosh, there's so much. I can make the sermon on the devil. I don't want to. I want to get back to Luke real quick. But I want to point out four things that Satan does. Now, there's a lot more you can grab in the Bible. And some of you, if you've done any study on Satan, 
Now, I hope if you studied, did a study on Satan, you have studied King Jesus, and you are totally sold out. You probably help set things up. You probably give your tithe. You probably treat your mate like, like he or she is on a pedestal, and your kids say they wouldn't want any other dad or mom but you, and your parents say they don't want any children but you. If you've studied Satan, I hope you studied King Jesus, and he rules in your life. King Jesus, okay? So you may know some things that I don't call attention to because there's not enough time. But I want to share four things I think is very important for the people that are here today. Okay? Look on your message map. Number one, Satan is your enemy. Satan is your enemy. Please understand that. He's not your friend. And there are people who will try to teach you and share with you. Especially, listen, young folks out of control... Or young adults out of control who will try to tell you, Satan can be your friend. He is your enemy. Look there. First Peter. Look what we're told there by the apostle Peter who walked with Jesus. He says, be on your guard and stay awake. Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion sneaking around to find someone to attack. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you need to consider Satan your enemy. When you see a show, when you hear about the devil, you need to realize that's talk about your enemy. Somebody tries to tell you your enemy is not your enemy, they're not telling you the truth. You need to be aware, as a believer, Satan is your enemy. He has nothing good in mind for you. If you're taking a drug and you start hallucinating on the devil, and you think he has something good for you, and he says, drive that car real fast, he has nothing in mind good for you. All Satan's going to tell you, now listen to me, because he's your enemy, he wants you and your example to be destroyed for God. That's all he wants. He wants to destroy your example for God. He is your enemy. He wants to convince you that God's way is the wrong way. He wants to convince you that what God doesn't want you to do is what you ought to do. Now be careful because he does that to parents an awful lot. Because this world tells you your kids won't be healthy. If you don't raise your kids like every other parent who is saying, I'm tired of being a bus driver. Man, my kids are too involved. Satan will try to convince you that that is the way you ought to be with your kids. He'll try to convince us because he is our enemy. Look on the screen. Look what we're told in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. For we are not fighting. Look what the Christians were told. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Hear that, flesh and blood enemies. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world. And against evil spirits in the heavenly places. In other words... The early Christians, and we now 2,000 years, are told this. We are at war. And our war is not against unbelievers. And some Christians do that. You've heard those Christians. You've got to get those piercings off your body. You don't put those marks on your body. Don't dress that way. Don't sing that kind of music. In other words, Christians make it a war against unbelievers. We are at war, and it is not against unbelievers. We are at war, and our enemy is not the government. There are some Christians that know more about the government experience than they know about Jesus Christ. Oh, he's Lord, but they don't honor him. They don't honor their mate. You get around him. You watch that man. You watch that woman. They know everything about government. They're always right. But their mate, how they treat them, oh, man, or parents... Or children? You see, our, we're at war, but our enemy is not the government. And I want you to understand, we're at war, and our enemy is not other Christians. 
Some churches are different from us. But listen, there are brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray for them. Last Sunday, I went to a church. Like I said, it sort of looked like us, but it is traditional, and it's makeup. And I prayed for that church because those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's people they're going to touch who still want that kind of experience. We're not looking for people who want that kind of experience. We're looking for people of our culture who have totally shut off to the church. That's what Connection's looking for. We're looking for that man, that woman, who have said, I'm tired of God and Jesus Christ and those hypocritical Christians. We want to meet those people, to live and love and let them see a change in us that they might allow God to connect with their hearts and bring a change in them. Our enemy is Satan and our enemy is the power of darkness. That's what we fight against. I've had people tell me, you don't stand against things. I'm telling you, get close to me and get to know me. I stand against Satan and the powers of darkness. Now look at number two. Satan is not only our enemy. Look in your uh, message map. Satan rules in this world. you got to understand that. You see, because people are telling us in this world, Satan doesn't have much control. I don't think about God. I don't think about Satan. You know the sad thing about that? He rules. There's more people concerned about Republicans and Democrats than they are Satan's rule. Satan rules in this world. Look what it says there, John 12, 31. Jesus said, a time for judging this world has come, and Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. Satan rules people in this world. Now listen, somebody says, I never knew that. Where, 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 where's his capital at? Where, where is his, where, where's his government located? Listen, you want to know how Satan rules? Satan rules through thoughts. That's how he rules in this world. Satan rules through thoughts. That's what he does. He gets in here so that this is affected. Satan says this, you are a failure. Listen, if he can get a demon to get your parents or your brother or sister or friend to tell you that, he will. He wants to rule in your thoughts. He says you are a failure. Satan says things like, you are without hope. Satan says, you have no good future. Satan says, God doesn't love you. Satan says, you're not going to get better. Satan says, it's going to get worse. You see, he rules right here because he wants us to be hopeless. Because hopeless people do nothing but isolate themselves. Find those kinds of people who have hopelessness. They isolate themselves. They may go to the party, but they will sit on the sideline. They may go to a meeting, but they never really get involved. You know why he wants us to be isolated? Because he wants us to commit suicide. You see, he rules in this world. Somebody said, I thought God rules. God rules in our hearts. Satan rules in the world. And he wants people to commit suicide. Now listen, he wants people to commit intellectual suicide. Some of you know already, I'm, I don't believe in Satan and I don't want anything to do with this God stuff. But you know, some things Mike's saying make sense to me. But you see, Satan wants you to commit that intellectual suicide to those some things that make sense. Satan wants us to commit intellectual suicide. Satan wants us to commit moral suicide. Satan wants us to be so caught up with our pleasure and our flesh that we say, okay, I'll do what you want, devil. I know this is not what God would want, but I'm going to commit moral suicide. And what Satan wants to lead you to, listen, he wants to lead you that you someday might commit physical suicide. That you say, you know what? 
My relationships with my parents, my brothers, my sisters, others in this world, it's all, it's all a bunch of garbage. Or as this world would say, it's just all crap. Sometimes I just think, I'm going to kill myself. What would it be like to kill myself? And you know, he wants to rule in this world and he wants to take you out of it. Because I'm going to tell you, God says there's hope and God says, listen man, the the destiny of your child can be impacted if you'll let Jesus rule. You'll let him be king in that issue. Satan doesn't want you to do that because he wants to rule in your child after you're dead. You see, he rules through our thoughts. That's what he does. Look on the screen, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds, and that's what he does. I'm telling you, intellectually, some things I'm saying is connecting with you, and you are a rebel to God. Intellectually, it's making a little sense. Satan wants you to commit intellectual suicide. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds. He wants to blind you. The minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of, God, of the good news. That's the truth about Jesus. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ. I don't understand what they're saying about Jesus. Keep hanging out with connection. You'll learn. Who is the exact likeness of God. Satan rules in this world. And he'll rule in your life if you don't realize he's your enemy. Look at number three on your message map. Satan deceives. Revelation 12.9 said this, The ancient snake, oh, that means he was that guy in the garden with Adam and Eve. The ancient snake named devil and Satan. Let me stop. Revelation is written thousands of years later than when the book of Genesis was written. The guy who wrote Genesis could not talk with the guy who wrote Revelation. John, Moses could not talk with each other and plot as we're told, the Bible is just a conspiracy of some people who are controlling other people. The man talked about the snake in the garden thousands and thousands of years before the man wrote the book of Revelation. And he says, the ancient snake named devil and Satan, look what he says, the deceiver of the whole world. He seeks to deceive you. He's your enemy. He wants to rule through your thoughts. So he wants to deceive you. He wants to tell you what old Mike Davis is saying up here. That doesn't apply to you. Mike Davis ought to be talking about something else. He doesn't want you to hear this stuff. He wants to tell you what God wants for your life, your marriage, your family. It's not what you need to be concerned about. He wants to tell you you ought to do what you want to do and what God doesn't want you to do. That's what he's saying. He deceives Jesus said this about the devil. He says the devil is a thief. He is a thief who wants to steal, who wants to kill, and who wants to destroy. You see, Satan is a deceiver. He's a deceiver and he seeks to deceive you so that he can steal your hope of fulfillment. Satan wants you to leave today and go back out in this world and face the same problems and move back to saying, man, I think I'm about ready to give up. He wants to steal your hope of fulfillment and potential that God has for you. Listen, mom and dad, the greatest gift you can give your child is to drag them to church all the time to hear stuff like this. You let them have to decide their relationship with God when they become the adult. But as your kid, you don't let them miss school. Don't let them miss church. You see, Satan wants to steal the hope 
of a person's fulfillment. And so he seeks to deceive them. He deceives people so that he can kill. Listen, he can kill your creative potential. Do you know, unless God's got a purpose for you to be a single, he wants you to meet that dream of your life? He said that in the Old Testament. He wants you to meet the dream of your life, but he wants to kill, he wants to kill that fulfilled potential. He wants to make you the kind of person nobody wants to stay married to. He wants to make you the kind of person that only looks at yourself. Come on, when are we going to eat? When are we going to go where I want to go? I don't want to go where you want to go. I don't want to do what you want to do. I want to do what I want to do. Listen, Satan wants to kill your fulfilled potential. You know what? Satan doesn't want us to raise up professional people that are experts in fields. That would honor God. He wants us to raise up professional people who are experts in their fields so their pocketbooks and their bank accounts can be their security. We want, we want our young people to grow up and become doctors and lawyers, professional people. We want them to be the best plumber in town that when they come into people, they keep their word and their changed life impacts people's lives, whatever their professional role is. But you see, Satan wants to kill your fulfilled potential. He doesn't want you to live God's potential in your life. So he deceives, and also he deceives so that he can destroy. And what does he want to destroy? Listen to me. He wants to destroy your future and your children's future. Now listen to me. Some of you know your parent has robbed you of well-being today. You need to be in Celebrate Recovery on Friday. Some of you are in denial but you know it's robbed you. Some of you know, some of you know your future is affected. And if you don't do something about it, it's going to impact your children because you're becoming just like your parents. You're going to pass on the same stuff. You say no, you commit intellectual suicide, but you know it's true. See, Satan wants to deceive you so he can destroy, listen, your future and your children's future. Some of you change those diapers. Some of you raise those kids to do gymnastics. Some of you get those kids off and you spend hours when they come home from school doing their homework. But when it comes to God, you say, I don't have time. Satan wants to deceive you. And what's important so he can destroy your future and your children's future. By his deception, listen to me, Satan destroys marriages and he destroys families because God said marriages and families are to be foundational. Now listen, they're all based on covenant relationships. A man trusts a woman, a woman trusts a man. If the man breaks the covenant, the woman is to be godlike and forgive. If the woman breaks the covenant, the man is to be godlike and to forgive. Parents are to trust children. Children are to trust parents. If the parent falls down and doesn't do everything the kid expected, the kid is to be godlike and forgive the parent. If the child chooses wrong, the parent is to be godlike and forgive the child. Covenant relationship is always built upon trust and love. Somebody says, well, what if they keep blowing the trust? You continue to be godlike. You see, Satan wants to deceive so he can destroy marriages and families. And listen, he breaks that foundation. He wants to destroy all relationships. And that's what he's doing in our world. We don't trust anybody. I've said it before. We don't trust the people who are our policemen. We don't trust our, our, our representatives anymore. Why should they trust you? You don't trust them. I was at Effingham a couple weeks ago. 
Six state troopers in there. I was dealing with a young pastor. Whenever I left, I walked up to those six troopers and I said, hey, listen, I may not say this right, guys. No, I said, excuse me first. I said, excuse me. I may not say this right, but I know you hear about all our complaints about you guys, but I want to thank you for being around because when we're in trouble, it makes us feel better when we see you. And I said, I hope I'll still believe that when one of you pull me over. And they all just laughed. We don't trust anybody. You see, Satan wants to destroy relationships. That's what he wants to do. Now look at number four. Satan is a liar. Satan is a liar. Number four. Look what he says in verse 43 in John, the eighth chapter. Why can't you understand what I am saying? Look on the screen. It's on the screen. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? Jesus is talking. It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. He hates the truth, no truth in him. When he lies... It is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Satan is the father of lies. That's what Jesus said. If Satan isn't real, this guy's a... Jesus is the liar. Jesus is the deceiver. And people who deceive and tell lies, they're enemies to people who hold the truth. Jesus says Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. And the reason we can't hear what Jesus is saying is because intellectually we commit suicide and we believe what the devil says and not what God is telling us. Satan seeks to get us to follow ourselves. He'll tell you a lie. He'll tell you this. Sneak out and disobey your parents and it'd be better for you. That's what he'll tell you. Satan will tell you a lie. He says, drive faster than you should and you'll be okay. Satan tells us lies. Satan says, cheat on somebody who trusts you and you'll be fine. Satan tells lies. Satan says, give yourself to your work that you rob your people who are significant in your life and things will get better. He tells us lies like that. See, Satan tells us lies because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He says what is evil is good. And he says what is good is evil. He is a liar. And I must understand that because sometimes in my marriage relationship, he wants to tell me to believe a lie so that I won't be the kind of living and loving like Jesus, God-like person toward my wife. And so he tells us lies. If you believe Satan's lies, then he will, listen, destroy you. He will. And he'll not only destroy you, he'll destroy your family. And he'll destroy your relationships. Oh, sure, you can get a boyfriend and girlfriend. All you got to do is give them something. Give them your body. He'll come around. Stop. He'll leave. Buy the drugs. They'll come around. Pay the price for the booze. They'll come around. Get involved in their debauchery. They'll come around. But I'm telling you, when you stop believing the lies and you believe the truth, they don't want to come around anymore. They don't have time for that. Because people who believe the lies commit suicide, intellectual, moral suicide. Look in your message map. Look at the next blank. 
The truth is, Satan is real and so is his power. Don't ever underestimate that. Man, I know it's there. It wants to invade me. It wants to invade my marriage. It wants to invade my church. It wants to invade my relationships. That's why I always got to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Man, I hope you look around. Matt was talking about where he saw God working today. I tell you, a young adult come up to me and said, made an apology to me and a compliment with another adult standing there. And I was so excited they gave me a gift. You know, that's how God works. Satan says, oh, don't worry about hurting people. Satan's power is real. And so we are responsible to relate to him in the correct manner. And that's what we see in Jesus' story. Look back to Luke 8 real quick. Look at verse 28. As soon as he saw Jesus, this is a demon-possessed man, he shrieked and fell down in front of Jesus. Now I want you to understand, this is not worship. If somebody tries to tell you he has to fall, every knee shall bow, this is not worship. All this is is a recognition of power. Read a little bit further and you see he says that. Look what he says. Then he screamed. This is the man possessed with demons. Why are you interfering with me, Jesus? Let me stop. Circle. Circle that in your Bible. Don't underline it. I want you to see that every time you read that. Why are you interfering with me, Jesus? Because you see, sometimes he interferes with your work schedule. Sometimes he interferes with your pleasure. Sometimes he interferes with your comfort zone. Sometimes he interferes with what you want. And this guy saw Jesus, and he's being controlled by the devil. And he's saying, why are you interfering with me, Jesus? I don't have time for this. Every time you read this, you ought to realize that's the statement of people impacted by demonic influence. Why are you interfering now, Jesus? I'm angry, and I want to stay angry, and I want my anger to destroy my relationships. What are you interfering? Why are you having Mike Davis even throw out that idea right now? Look, he goes on. He declares, Son of the Most High God. You see, he recognizes who Jesus is. This, the demons in this man have a correct theology about Jesus. They understand who Jesus is. You are the Son of the Most High God. Listen, God reveals Himself as Father, the Bible teaches. God reveals Himself as Son. And they realize Jesus. Their theology is correct. You are the Son of the Most High God. They don't want to be interfered with, but they recognize who He is. You know... He, Satan will deceive some people not to believe Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. But the demons, they know the truth. Some people, they deny that truth. Look, he says, please, I beg you. Look what he says. Don't torture me. Don't torture me. You see, demons know what their judgment is. Demons know they're going to go to hell and be tormented. Now somebody says, you're saying that. No, I don't have time. We'll get into that because we're going to get it into Luke about the 15th chapter. But Jesus said, that's what happens in hell. The demon knows. These demons in this guy, they know. They're going to be tortured. That's their judgment has already been passed. And so he says, I beg you, don't torture me now. You see, these demons don't love Jesus, okay? They hate Jesus. 
like some people do. Don't love Jesus, hate Jesus. But at least these demons know their judgment has already been decided. Some people say, oh, I don't believe in that kind of stuff. Matter of fact, me talking about this, some of you might start saying in your head, man, what Mike's talking about is so naive. I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in it at all. If you listen to that video we saw just before I got up here, some of those people are saying, I don't believe in hell. That is so naive. Listen, congratulations. You believed his lie. Satan's got you believing his lie. And so intellectually, you should see that. That you would turn away from that. That's what I'm telling you. He's the liar who deceives. And he has deceived you. The demons aren't deceived. Do you realize Luke probably talked to this man? Luke probably went to this guy and said, tell me exactly, or maybe the people who watched it, tell me exactly what happened. Do you mean the demons declared the correct theology about Jesus? That's right. When we finish this story, you're going to see people would not acknowledge that correct theology about Jesus who were there in that day. But the demons would. I say this with great concern for you. If you don't know Jesus and love him as God, the most high God, you are headed to hell. And it's nothing but bad. The demons know that. You need to understand that truth. And I would invite you today to turn your life over to Jesus. I would invite you today, just by faith, in what you've heard, in your mind's voice, to say to God, God, I've been living it my way. I've been going my way. I've been the God of my life. And I know I'm wrong. And I'm sorry. That's confession. And I turn from that today. That's repentance. Does that mean you're going to be perfect tomorrow the next day? No. You think Satan's going to leave you alone? I already told you. He will try to give me trouble. But God sees that confession and he sees the turning of repentance. It's like walking through life, living for yourself, your life, your choices, your sin in control. And yet here on Sunday, October the 14th, Intellectually, you understand you're going in the wrong direction. And in your mind, in relationship to God, because the Bible says everyone who calls out to the Lord will be saved. We don't holler. We pray. That's how we call out to God. And in your mind's voice, you talk to God. God, I'm sorry. Man, I've been God of my own life. I've been doing it my own way. I know what you want, and I'm wrong. Forgive me. I'm going to follow Jesus. You turn October 14th. God sees that. And he says that's what every one of us had to do. For me, it was whenever I was a teenager. For some of you, it's whenever you were a child. For others, it's when you become an adult. And for some of you, you know today, Jesus is not Lord. Be honest. And it needs to happen today, October the 14th. You need to talk to God. And I invite you to do that. Satan wants to fill your life with lies, deceit, and distrust. God wants to fill your life with truth. He wants to fill your life with revelation. And He wants to fill your life with trust.
each one of us must decide what our choice will be. Do we have any questions? We're going to stop there. Okay, let's try both of them. I think we've got just enough time. Let's go with the first one, unless the first one takes long. How do I, for some of you new, people can text, if you read your message map, they can text in questions from what the sermon goes. How do I balance a healthy awareness of Satan with celebrating Halloween and all the spooky things and demons that are a part of it? And what do I say to my kids about it? Okay, my kids celebrate Halloween. Bring your kids to my house, 3105 Jameson. It's on the back of the worship handout. Man, I give out candy. Uh, I just have a good time. I'll have 500 kids. They'll line up in my driveway. They will. My neighborhood will learn I want to. Okay, I'm going to tell you, Halloween's not bad. I, don't, I never told my kids to dress up as demons, as witches, or anything like that. They would go by some character, usually, or whatever. But I'm telling you, Halloween is the best time for Christians to show the love of God. You don't have to honor. You don't have to dress up and be a scary witch. Listen, you come to my house, I'm going to jump out and go, boo! But... Uh, no, I won't do that. But, but I'm telling you, I wish, I, when Connection first started, for those, maybe I need to do that again. When Connection first started, we started on October uh, 7th, I believe, was our first Sunday. Like last Sunday, Matt said, fifth anniversary. And, and I preached a sermon for Halloween about Halloween so that our people would understand. We relate to the culture. We don't get caught up in all the spooky stuff. So just tell your kids, it's a chance for people to share and you share. Now, if you're older and you don't want to be bothered and you don't have enough money to buy the candy, don't turn your light on. That's okay. Okay? Just be sure if you go buy milkshakes and pizzas for yourself, don't be selfish toward the kids. You were a kid once, okay? But just don't get caught up in all the spooky, demon, witch-type stuff. Uh, now, teach your kids to give. They went out and trick-or-treated. When they come home, teach them to give. My kids would come home. You know what you were taught back then? You got to look at all your kids' candy, right? So they would all pour their candy out, four kids. Well, Misty would have been told, so it would been three at the most at one time of my four kids. They'd pour them out, and we'd look through them. Laura and I with them, okay? And we'd talk, man, they'd talk about where they went. We just made a family experience out. And then we'd look through. And then I, they knew this. Before they could eat any of their candy, they had to let Laura choose a piece and me choose a piece first. And when they were little, they said, that's not fair. I said, hey, did people give that to you? Yeah. You mean you wouldn't give one piece for that loot? Oh, okay. Okay. And so Laura would choose. She'd choose the worst tasting gum or licorice or candy bar you could choose. I would choose the best piece of candy out of every group. Wouldn't I, Laura? My kids talk about that today. What I want them to understand. God gave to them, they ought to give to others. For some of you, you can leave your light on and you can give candy because God has given to you. What's question number two? I'm going to read it. Is that it? I'm going to read it? Yeah. If 1 Peter 5 eight says the devil is our enemy, and in Luke chapter 6 it tells us to love our enemies, how are we to obey God and not love the devil if he is our enemy? That's pretty good. But in context, Jesus is talking about other people. He's not talking about satanic powers. That's the answer. In context, he's talking about other people. He's saying do good to those who despise you. Okay? Bless those who curse you. He's talking about the human relationship. He's not talking about satanic powers. Okay, let's bow together for prayer and then we're done. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your kindness that you give us this building to use, Father. 
Thank you for that. And thank you for people who provide resources so that we can rent it out and we can have visuals and we can have good sound. Thank you, God, for the blessings you give to us. Help us to return that to the people of this culture. Help us, God, to be people who seek to be relevant to real-life needs, not to be people who just want our own comfort zones experience. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.